Oh, it's great to be able to see everyone together. Um, I'm actually not using uh, scripts today the way I usually do. So it's the first time I actually can see literally everyone on Zoom and I love it. Um, I think from now on, this is more of what I'll do. Um, and, and part of the reason I chose not to write a script was because I wanted to be a little more, um, or, oh, now I can see only myself. I don't know since I'm co-host if I can put back. See, can you all still see me, but I can see all of you? Okay, cool, perfect. <laughs> I just wanna see as many of you as possible. So part of the reason I didn't do the script was that I wanted it to be a little more organic, um, a little more, um, I not necessarily conversational, but I wanted to be able to, to see you, like I said. Um, and, and so before I, before I jump in, I, I wanted to pray. Um, I, I don't feel fully grounded uh, throughout this week and being able to preach right now. Um, this week was the three-year anniversary of Stephen's murder. Um, and so I have had the altar for him in the back and then another friend of mine who three years ago was killed. Um, and then I also added uh, Dante Wright and Adam Tolel. Um, and so you, you can see that in the background, um, some little plants and some snacks there that I used to share with uh, Stephen and Michael. Um, and so let me just pray uh, to ground myself, but also hopefully all of us. God of our breath, God of our bodies, God of our life, we pray may you guide us as a community, collectively as we move with your spirit. You have given us strengths and gifts each, and we are one body, so we pray be with us in this painful world. Amen. So, um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> the, the first kind of bullet point I was going to go to even before, I, before this week happened was going to be uh, things continue being bad. <laughs> um, and then this week <laughs> was, um, um, for anyone paying attention to the news, um, just more of, of the same, I guess, and... and a way that makes it all too tragic and all too ordinary and kind of the worst of ways, I guess. And, and I think that's why what I wanted to focus on today, primarily as we looked at this passage, was, was the strengths and the gifts that each of us have as a body um, and what that would look like as a community to be able to come together and support different, different groups and movements of people who are trying to get at the root of a lot of the problems of, of the world that we see. There are many people who are on the front lines. There are many communities who are on the front lines of a lot of the violence that we see in the world. And I think that part of what this passage has, has left with me and that I wanna share with all of you is that there is a place for all people. And that's not just a message from this passage, but it's a message I've heard repeated over and over again, since particularly since the uprisings last summer, I've heard it repeatedly from leaders in multiple communities is we need as many people as possible. And, and we don't need everyone to be involved in everything. We don't need everyone to do everything. We, d we actually don't need what Paul says in Corinthians, which is be all things to all people. <laughs> you know, what we need is for people to realize what are your strengths? 
what are your realistic limitations given where you are in life? Um, and what's your, your drop? What's your grain of sand? What's your, your, the small thing that you can do where you're at? So to that end, um, in a couple minutes, uh, I'm gonna share a couple of stories um, and have it be a little more just, just story time, if you will. And hopefully those stories can, can illustrate a little bit of what I mean. Um, because like I said, you know, um, it feels some days like, and some days more than others, but it feels often there's, there's like a steady, you know how people used to talk about COVID blues. I don't know about you, but sometimes it feels like there's a steady, like, like the world's blues of police terror continues just like wildfire, um, literal wildfires. I just remember last September, I couldn't breathe being next to the mountains with the bobcat fires. Um, and so environmental catastrophe is something that at this church we, we hear about and talk about a lot and the imminent threat of that. Um, I work with families who literally over a dozen families who are incredibly anxious about evictions. Um, some of them who have been harassed by landlords and if it wasn't for the laws currently in place because of the pandemic, they would have been evicted. Um, homelessness, just is, it's just expanding and spiraling. It's just growing and growing and growing. Um, and so that's, that's, that's the, really, the reality of where we're at. And so as we talk about what is our place and collectively in all of this, I, I want us to really to really think about what are what are the different gifts and strengths we bring, um, and not just today, but to start thinking about what would it look like as a community, to truly start discerning what are what are the the strengths that we can all bring, as individuals, but moving as a body, um, because I've heard organizers say, "Hey, people with different levels and layers of privilege." You know what we need we, we don't need you guys to be the leaders of movements but would we just need you to kind of talk with each other and get together and be like hey you know what is it that we can do realistically so one one uh dream that i that i that i have you know or, or one i one vision that i have not in the literal you know uh sense um but it's hey what would it look like say last summer after George Floyd, there was a group of like maybe 15 or 20 of us from PMC who ended up like just kind of organically in the matter of like a few hours being like, hey, are you going to that protest? Are you going to that protest? And a bunch of us went and we ended up being there. Um, what would it have looked like, let's say, if there had also been a stage where one of us had said, actually, hey, you know, I know there's a lot of parents who can't go right now, so I could do, and I know this is during pandemic, so it's not a perfect example, but think about pre or vaccinated pandemic, but someone's saying, hey, what would it look like um, for me to take care of the children? That way there can be a group of four or five parents who can go and I'll do, and I'll do childcare and the parents just drop them off. And then someone else says, and I can, you know, cook food the way we do when someone just had a baby or someone just moved or, you know, I can cook food. That way when people come back after four hours of being shot rubber bullets at by the police, you can have food and we can all just sit down and, and debrief and decompress, you know? So what I think I'm, I'm trying to get at with this is in some ways, a lot of like joining these, these movements, it's a lot more ordinary than we often associate with it. A lot of times it's a lot more about, it's a lot less about being the activist who has it all together <laughs> and a lot more of just being the person who, who has gifts and who's willing to, to share those with others in a way that fits within something larger than ourselves. Because we are in a time in history 
that more and more people are realizing there is something larger than any one group or any one person that is happening. And we don't all need to be leaders. We don't all need to be, have it all together. We don't even need to be able to do the things that we think we need to do, but we need to do something. We need to take one step and walk together. And so that's, that's, that's the heart of what I think I wanna say. And so I wanna share these two stories to illustrate one, how ordinary kind of like getting together and being able to talk and plan and discern our strengths and our limitations looks like. And, and so let me, let me share these two stories. The first one is starts in the uh, late 1960s, early 1970s uh, with a group of Puerto Rican men in, in uh, their neighborhood. I, if I remember correctly, it was the Bronx. Um, it was a group of, I think, four or five guys. And actually, if I remember correctly, there was also one woman um, at first. And they were all in an environment assaulted by gentrification, by policing, by um, just, just high levels of poverty, uh, lack, to, lack of access to good health care, to good um, mental health, to all sorts of things. And they were just a group of friends, a lot of, a lot of them very young. And they got together and they start talking about, hey, like, what do we do? You know, what, what, what do we do in our community? Because there's a lot of issues. And it was just sitting in a living room, eating some food. And they're like, what do we do? So the first thing they did was, hey, instead of us deciding, like, you know, what it is that we should do, how about we go knock on our neighbor's doors? So they go, they knock on their neighbor's doors, um, and they start hearing something that was not any actually of the hot topic items that they thought, like policing or gentrification. It was, there's a lot of trash on our streets. And the, the city is not picking up enough trash and it, start, and, and it smells and it's dirty and we don't like our kids playing on the streets. Um, and so this group of people, they were like, okay, cool. This is what this, you know, three, four blocks of neighbors are all saying this. So they go to city hall, they're like, hey, what's happening? Why haven't you guys picked up the trash? You know, they get all the like, sure, 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 we'll go. Um, multiple days pass and they don't come. So they're worried and they're like, okay, what do we do? They go again, but this time they go with just like a simple petition that has a list of like, you know, all these people who've signed off like in the neighborhood, please, like this is a problem. Please come and pick up our trash. And the city sends someone, picks up the trash, but then again, weeks pass and the trash has not been picked up and trash is just piling out on the streets. So at this point, this, this group of uh, friends, really, um, they, say, they say, okay, this, this, is, this is becoming a problem. Like the city's not taking care of us. You know, we, we need to probably take, take things kind of into our own hands. And so they basically recruit a bunch of different neighbors and they, start, they do a community cleanup and they go around and they gather all the trash in their community and they clean everything. So in this process, they're, they're meeting their neighbors and they're making connections with all of them. And their neighbors are being like, oh dang, these kids are for real. You know, these kids are actually like gathering the trash, they're cleaning the community. They're not just like, you know, knocking the door and then never coming back. Like these are like, they're, they're really taking care of this, of this space because they live here and we live here. So they're gaining the trust of their community, right? Um, so they gather all the trash and then for one last time, they go and they ask the city, we gathered the trash, we did the job you should have done. Um, but we did it, please come pick it up. So something happens that they, they end up, you know, not having the trash picked up. And these group of people say, okay, we feel like we really need to escalate this because this is not okay. 
you know, and so they'd been studying around the time, this is remember late 60s, early 70s, they'd been studying a lot of the different like revolutionary movements throughout Latin America. And they'd, they'd empathize a lot with the sentiment of, you know, the poor need to, need to act, act for themselves because really when push comes to shove, the state and, and the rich are not taking care of us. And so inspired by the, what, what were called offensives across you know, different countries like Guatemala, Peru, Cuba, um, they decide to gather all the trash and use the tactic of blockades, which was very, very common in different parts around the time to be able to raise uh, the consciousness of their community and also to expose the contradictions in the city that keep saying that you know, they believe in equality when they're not actually taking care of everyone equally. And so they create blockades with the trash bags and they set fire to these. They had ahead of time told all of their neighbors, hey, we're gonna do this, are you okay with this? They, they didn't just go ahead and decide for their community. And a lot of the elders in their community actually liked the idea. And they were like, yes, do it. We've been fighting for this for months and nothing's changed. And so they blockaded the streets on a day and that, escalated to a level where the New York City media started paying attention, the city freaked out, and it came to be known as the Garbage Offensive, which was one of the sparks that started the Young Lords Revolutionary Movement, which if some of you have heard, was in the 60s and 70s, the largest Puerto Rican and, and Latin American US-based uh, social movement that worked alongside the Black Panthers to be able to provide eventually food kitchens, uh, a lot of like community patrols, um, they actually, they ended up even occupying some churches at some point, asking the churches to be the people's church because they had become all about the money and about themselves. And there's actually a Mennonite historian who's written a book about this, um, Felipe Hinojosa, and so, which I can drop in the chat later. Um, but that, that was the point I think I want to make with that is how ordinary it all was from the beginning. Like usually people think of these radical actions that begin with like blockades to be able to get the attention of the city so that there's justice being made. But it was just many months before, just a group of kids who sat down together and talked. And they were like, what do we do? And so I'm not saying we are or need to be the young lords, we're PMC. But what story are we going to write? And how are we going to talk to each other? And how are we going to discern what do we want to do? And what can we do collectively? That, I think that's part of the point, you know, because we have beautiful gifts that we, a lot of us use individually and that's okay and we need to continue those. But how do we start thinking collectively about the gifts God has given us, as Paul says, as a body? Because God gave us all things as a body. So one last story and then I'll wrap up. Um, last summer um, in Minneapolis, there was a woman who was part of the community where George Floyd was murdered. And I mean, I don't need to tell you all just how the uprisings unfolded throughout the country. And she wanted to be out with her people, uh, with her community, with her neighbors. But she felt really, really uncomfortable with COVID. And she felt really scared about getting COVID. Um, I don't know what her personal medical circumstances were. I don't know what her personal story was in that sense, but she, she just couldn't get herself to go out. And that was a limit that was real, right? Like she, she had to recognize that real limitation of, hey, I don't feel comfortable. But I don't know if a friend suggested this. I don't know if she came up with this. Um, I'd like to think that it was her community that gave her this idea, um, you know, just to continue with the theme of community. But she was someone who really liked to knit and she had been knitting for a very long time. 
And so in anticipation of the winter that was going to be coming and in anticipation of the fact that, you know, as we know now, you know, just the movement, you know, to defund police, to, to reclaim, you know, and reimagine public safety in different communities has just continued growing. She said, okay, I don't feel comfortable going on the street, but how about I start knitting little hats for protesters because in Minneapolis winters, if any of you know Minneapolis winters, they suck. <laughs> so, so she started in the summer, she started knitting hats and she knit hundreds of hats that then were being shared with all of her neighbors who are out on the streets, you know, creating groups of community safety to be able to create pockets of the city where you don't need police because you don't need someone with a gun to resolve disputes with, with the threat of prison. You know, like, and, and they're out there and she couldn't be out there. She didn't feel comfortable being out there, but she provided hats for them. And she had this strength of knitting. And then she shared this with her community. So in a way, these, these boundaries that we've made between the individual and the collective, they become porous and they just, they, you, you start realizing that they're just constantly crossing and crisscrossing. But I think, and maybe I'm speaking for myself, I'm, I won't speak for our community, but, but I oftentimes realize it's hard to realize how those strengths that I may or may not have, how, how, how those fit and how those interlock with something as large as, as the movement for climate justice or migrant justice or housing justice or all, the, all these things. But if God has given us gifts and if God has, has made us a body, which, which means a community, a collective, that there's, there's ways that we can help each other do that. You know, and, I, and, I, and I'm seeing all of, all of your faces here and I can literally like think of so many of you who have so many different gifts, you know, things that go from, from the, the strategic, more like intellectual to the incredibly concrete, to the administrative and organizational, to research-based, to pastoral-based, to like, it's just the, the amount of, of talent, of gifts and of strengths in this community are just, are just incredible. And so I think that's what I wanna leave us with is thinking about, about these stories and how God gives us these gifts and how we can move and consider how to move in a way that is realistic with our limits of our life. You know, um, some of us might not feel, I mean, now with vaccines, these conversations shift a little bit from eight months ago, right? But even with vaccines, I, I've known people who are like, you know what, even with the vaccine, I'm still trying to be really cautious and you know, that might be your limit or another, you know, uh, limit of just being realistic about is maybe, okay, I have children and I can't make meetings before 8.30 PM. So I need all y'all single people to like, remember that, <laughs> you know, and, and that's a real one or, you know, but, but given all the real things and the limitations and how, how do we together? Cause we will only be able to do this together, you know, but really the, the, the world, if we pause for a moment, you know, and, and we remember this, this altar in the back, you know, the world is going to hell in a handbasket, but at the same time, God has given us gifts and strengths and, and the ability to connect in ways that are wise, in ways that are, that are loving, and in ways that truly get to tap into what God made us for, which is to, to participate in, in the creation of God's world of justice and peace. But that's so concrete and that's what I want to invite us to. So as an invitation into this sort of the sermons in action, um, 
there's been some some uh, i'm going to be transparent with all of you there's been some 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 behind the scenes just conversations amongst the fast team which i know is called faith and action and solidarity but i thought it could also be called facilitating action and solidarity you know it's just it, it plays in really cool ways the words you know and and so the fast team actually um has just a, a a minor initial step to be able to invite us to, to start considering collectively because if we we're going to move in a certain direction and this is just an invitation to consider because we all need to decide this together um the the value of consensus is at the heart of the mennonite anabaptist tradition and and even something like this it takes all of us talking dialoguing discerning together what will it look like um and so we created something simple you will probably roll your eyes as soon as I say it, but it's a survey. And so please feel free to roll your eyes at another survey. But it was the easiest way we knew to, to get uh, throw a wide net right now first with the community to get a really quick five minute like input from people, you know, of like what are what are kind of general senses and takes on strengths on how your strengths fit into these things on your general interests and what you see as limits for you to even being caring or getting involved in something like this, you know, but, but it's something we, we will, you know, Matt actually just put it on the chat. Um, we will send it out again on the listserv. We'll probably ask uh, Karen to put it on the Chronicles. We will do reminders um, so that looking forward, maybe in a few months, um, we can decide how is it that we want to take one more step. And so, you know, it's it's only ever MLK said, you know, if you're if you're crawling, start walking. If you're walking, you know, start jogging. If you're jogging, try running, you know, and I like that. But then I also like something that the Zapatistas in Mexico say, which is um, we need to walk because we're planning to walk for a long time. And we don't want to get too tired. So let's walk. So that's my invitation to all of us. That's my word for today, um, because God has given us a lot of gifts and God has made us a community and we're part of something so much larger than ourselves. So uh, thank you all. And I like doing this. So just organically love you all. <laughs>